The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm so excited about my guest today. It is the one, the only, Jim Young. Jim, how are you? I'm always good when I get to see you, Tara. It's been a little while, but it's also been a long time uh, that we've known each other. So it's like to talk to you today. Yeah, me too. And I'm glad that we had a little catch up today at one of the newer, newer, older coffee shops in town. Yeah. Anna Bandiera Chocolatiers. Yeah, check it um, out. Yeah, it was cool to check it out and be there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the old, what was it? Uh, Patisserie Lennox. That's so right. So for people that haven't been there, they should go and check out that spot. Yeah, support your locals. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's great to see you. It's been a while, like you said, um, and been a while since, you know, we've known each other for sure. And, you know, when I think of you, I think about, um, just your journey, right? I don't Mm. know. I don't know if you think about this when you think about people, but for me, you know, Paragus always comes to mind as like a organizational pinpoint, um, in your history. And I think that I resonate with organizational pinpoints because of my business background and sort of what I do in the community. Everyone has to have an organization to like tether themselves to or a purpose or a need. Um, But you're not there anymore. That's right. Uh, What is Paragus for those who might not know? What is Paragus, Jim Uh, Young? Paragus Strategic IT is an IT outsourcing company uh, based out of Hadley that provides IT services for small, medium-sized businesses. I worked there for about four years, I believe. Um, It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. And Delcy Bean is the CEO. Yep, CEO and founder. Yeah, and um, I reference him pretty frequently because for the past almost six years that I've been at Greenfield Savings Bank, I've been... Uh, trying to lobby for a driver. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's my one he's my one tether to that. I'm like, well, Delcy Bean has a driver. It's one of his answers <laughs> to productivity. Wow, well, now is I having want somebody a, who drives. I want a driver now. Um I mean But it would be for non productivity is really what it would come down to. Well, okay, listen. So it would either be for productivity, safety, mm. efficiency, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. there's a whole yeah. host of things that you could just box check if I you love had that. someone to drive you around. Or if it was Jerry Seinfeld, it would just be for humor. Right. I mean, I did not I did not mention marketing, but you all know me. And like a green caddy with some vanity plates, dollar sign, GSB dollar sign. Who's going to drive it? We would have a driver. Okay. There's yeah. going to be a line for that. And there you go. So we have a new CEO at the bank, Tom Mascheco, and I have wasted no time in telling Tom that... <laughs> that you want a driver. He really should get a driver for efficiency, especially because he's kind of juggling two jobs right now. And I said, now's the time. For him to get a driver, not you. Yes. Well, set the precedent. Well, you, can you can draft us. off. Carpool. Yeah. There could be a sign-up Limo. sheet. Start with a share, and then you <laughs> dedicate your own. He obviously would get first choice. Sure. But <laughs> That's fair. Maybe if there were some open slots in the day, I could... Sign myself in. Anyway, rolling meetings. How cool mm-hmm. would that be, you guys? Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Delcy Phoenix Paracus, thank you so much for the idea. And you're no longer there. That's right. You've sort of forged your own path in terms of work. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about 
how that epiphany came to you, because I think that yeah. that is just really part of where you are now. Sure. Part of your history and your story of like having that moment where enough is enough. You That's know, exactly like right. I can't, I can't yeah. anymore. This is not good. And, and we met when you were uh, co-owner of Jackson and Connor, and I still have some of the sweaters that I bought <laughs> that you told me I, sh- I should try on. I'm like, no, not those. But you knew that I should wear those sweaters, and I love them. And hopefully they're they're <clears throat> still good and serving you well. And they have lasted. Yeah, they're quality. They're, they're fantastic. I love they're it. They're timeless. Yeah. And um, and I was I was leveling up my wardrobe because I was in this new job, and I was. I got to Paragus because I was looking to make a change in this corporate career that had stagnated, and I didn't know at the time. I didn't call it burnout, but I was on—I was definitely on the path to burnout. And when I got to Paragus, I got reinvigorated. It was this really energetic time for me. I had so much opportunity, and I took every single one of them, which was both exciting and dangerous for me because I just wanted something that felt fun and interesting and exciting, but it was like... I went to the buffet and I filled three plates and it ended up not being a good situation over time. I overdid it. I, you know, I I was super excited to, to climb the ladder. Some of that was like really old stuff of, I had to succeed. I had to show myself, I had to prove myself and getting to president of a company was one way I could do that. And damn, if I didn't do it, I, I, muscled my way through. I, I did overnight. Uh, I'd work overnight sometimes. I, I just did some crazy stuff to, you know, when I look back at it in hindsight, some of it was just to prove myself. And I got into full-on burnout. I was going through a divorce. I was losing my grandmother, who was a primary caregiver uh, in my life, and dealing with this incredibly complex set of work stresses while also being seeing the opportunity to elevate myself, like get, get the brass ring and be, become, you know, president of this company that I was, I was in and I did it, but the cost of it was just way too high. And I ended up in full on burnout. I had to eat, hit the eject button, leave for like a month. Um, I, just, I, I walked into Delcy's office one day and I said, I got to go and I don't know when I'm coming back, which was really hard. It felt like this admission of failure and, that didn't feel good, but I knew I had to do it. And within a year, I had to, I, I ejected completely. I said, I'm, I'm leaving um, this company. I did have a, a, a quick stop at another company for about a year, but I was still burned out. And eventually in 2018, I walked into my boss's office with a resignation letter and no plan. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to go find something else to do. And for you, what did that really look like? I mean, how did you come to that knowledge? I mean, you know, when you talk about burnout, Mm -hmm. what was burnout for you? Was it exhaustion? Was it just like not knowing, you know, what you were doing or where you were going, not having a beacon? Yeah, it was all those things. I was definitely exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, I was cynical, like, this is a dead end. I'm never going to get out of this. Like all these negative thoughts of you know, not, I was no longer in the land of possibility, which is how I started off at Paragus and how I'd been at other stops in my career. I just couldn't get out of that mindset. And I also just felt like I couldn't do good work anymore. And that's, those are the three classic signs of burnout is exhaustion, cynicism, and a lack of sense of efficacy or accomplishment. And 
I, again, I only learned that those were symptoms of burnout afterwards, but I just knew like, this sucks. Um, I, this, I can't continue doing this. And I was so frustrated. I was so tired. I was feeling kind of hopeless. And I knew like, if I just continued to do this, I was going to end up in a straight jacket or a pine box. And that wasn't a good option. I got kids. I love them. I wanted to be there for them. And I, I couldn't like, I think that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for me is when I went to this other organization, I couldn't find the time to fit my kids into my, my schedule on the 50% of the time that I, I have them. I was fitting my kids around my job, and that was just a non-starter for me. I said, I, I need to change that. And so, you know, we all talk about burnout and... Uh, you know, it's kind of this, this thing like, you know, uh, amongst workers or friends or things that we say to each other, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so exhausted. Oh, I'm so burned out. I'm doing so much. You know, there's always this like leveling up of how busy you are in terms of your success. And so how did you kind of reconcile those things when you handed in the paper and you said, this is it, you know, I'm walking away from all of these things that are societal checkpoints of being successful. It wasn't comfortable. Uh, It was, again, it felt like I was giving up. There was some shame in it. Like, oh, people are going to look at me like you can't cut it or you're not man enough to, you know, do what you're supposed to do to provide for your family. Like all these cultural narratives were just ringing in my head. And at the same time, it it was really clear to me eventually when I hit the tipping point of it that I'm like, I have to go do something different and, and I'll deal with not meeting those expectations. And, you know, ultimately I was able to recognize like, who cares about those expectations? I got to care about myself and the people that I love. And if anyone wants to have stories about that, they, they can have those. Yeah. I think that's really important to be able to reclaim the narrative of yourself, right? Like this is your life. This is the life you want to lead, you know, and so you need to start doing the things that are good for you, that are going to sustain you, that are going to make sure you live to be the next year and the next year after that, especially when you have kids um, that are dependent on you. If I'm going to live up to the the male provider role, it's no good if I'm burnt out, crispy and unavailable and can't be present for anything. So that, that made sense. So when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about that male provider role because it's Mm -hmm. something that you talk a lot about in your book, um, Expansive Intimacy, um, and sort of what the societal norms are for being a man and the confines of that structure, um, which are really important to like not being able to take that exit off the highway and say, like, I need a timeout. Yeah. Excited Um, to talk about that. Yeah, me too. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with Jim Young, who decided to leave his professional career and jump on the bus of a new professional career, um, which involves being a coach and a writer. And uh, we'll talk about his book, Expansive Intimacy, when we come back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Jim Young, who's the author of Expansive Intimacy, How Tough Guys Defeat Burnout, which is pretty exciting. You're an author. I know. I can hardly believe that. Yeah. uh, That just kind of happened. 
How does it feel? It, I, it's great. I, um, I wrote the book in less than a year. From the time I started the manuscript till publication, it was less than a year. So it was ready to pour out of me. I've always loved writing, and I thought someday I'd write a book, but then it, it, just, it just tumbled out. It was, it was pretty cool. And so it tumbled out because of the choices that you made to take a pause on working in a company and putting yourself first. Like, how did it, how did it evolve? It, it evolved over the ensuing four years after I decided, okay, I need to leave corporate and start over. And when I left, again, I had no plan. I said, okay, I'm just going to figure something out. And I had a conversation four days after I handed in my resignation letter with somebody. I was downtown Northampton. I ran into a, a, a friend and I told her about my week and I was just a little frazzled. And she said to me, she asked me the question that I needed to hear, which was, well, okay, here, like you're leaving that career behind, but what did you love about that career? And I was like, oh, wow, what did I love? I said, well, I, I love the people side of it. I loved helping the people that I managed and led grow into these versions of themselves they didn't realize they could be and support them in that. And I loved the experience of getting people to come together on a team and do things, again, that they, they didn't know they could do together. And she's like, oh, well, that's, that's something that you can do as a coach. And I didn't really understand what a coach was at that point. But when I heard that, I was like, so I could do that full time? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, pretty much. I jumped in pretty quickly to that. And then about a year and a half ago, I was doing some work with a branding specialist to just you know get a little clearer about what my business actually was, what my coaching practice was. And we looked at who was I working with, who were, who were my clients. And the majority of them were guys who owned businesses, who had families at home that they couldn't spend enough time with or were, were struggling to get that time. And they're feeling stressed, burned out at work. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a men's and organizational burnout coach. And as soon as I started calling myself that, the right work started showing up. And and I, I also felt like, oh, I need to explain how did I go through that journey. I didn't I didn't document it along the way. So I had to retrace the steps. And as I did that, I'm like, oh, it was creating intimate connections in my life, not this expected solution for burnout. And I was like, I gotta write about this. And so you did in your book. Um, which you start out very openly talking about how you arrived at the place that you arrived at. When you say openly, you mean the part where I talk about like I'm sobbing on the floor? Yeah. Yeah, that's the part. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, openly, I mean, not a lot. You yeah, know, that happened. Even yeah. though people write books like this, yeah. sometimes they do not go into the me narrative of saying, this was actually my lowest point. Yeah. Uh, where I'm sobbing on the floor and, you know, I can't see a, a way up. I can't see the light. Right. Um, which you did not do in your in your opening chapter. I just felt, especially because what I've seen a lot with guys that I've had guys come to me for coaching and we have this great conversation. It's clear that they're like interested, they have a need, and then they never call back. They don't actually sign up. And I think a lot of what goes on is is men need some modeling to say it's okay to actually reach out when you're in, in a situation like that and get help, get support, let go of all the things that you've been holding on to because the burden of that is is just too high. Yeah. And, you know, we hear, or men hear, mm -hmm. the man up, Yeah, you know, boys don't cry. Mm -hmm. Like, what are some Suck of the other up. ones? Suck it up. Tough like, it out. Be a man. Yeah. yeah all those so, things. 
those and those are the positive versions of it, right? You could go right. the other way yeah. and talk about what you're not supposed to be, but right. some of that's not radio safe. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so this is ingrained all throughout life. So, you know, where where are men finding you? You know, like how are mm-hmm. they getting connected to you and, and what are the ones that do say yes? How, like what's the difference between them and the ones that aren't calling you back? Yeah. There's a swath of men who are interested, but not ready to do this. And then there are men, sometimes I think it's, they've just gotten to a point where the pain level is too high. That sometimes when people who've, who found me say, Hey, I want to do some work is they just, they need it. They, it's not that they, have a, a desire for it. It's like, I need this or something really bad's going to happen. And I want it. I want to move that, that uh, threshold down where people aren't getting to the boiling point before they're saying this is too hot. And, and I do get some guys who are like that, but most of them, it's like, yeah, I just, I, I don't know where to turn anymore. I, I need help. I am throwing my hands up and saying, I surrender. That's okay. You know, I, I can help. So if you're around men or you're in an organizational uh, environment, you know, what are some what are some signs that are happening to people in the workplace that, you know, coworkers or friends or spouses mm. might be able to say like this is a sign of potential burnout or potential need for some assistance? There's a lot of them. It can just look like somebody's getting quiet. They're disconnected. They're not engaging anymore. They're less fun to be around. Um, you know, temper tantrums or, you know, reacting in ways that just aren't appropriate. Uh, a lot For a lot of men, anger is an emotion that feels safe. It's been modeled as like we're allowed to be anger, uh, angry. Violent films kind of reinforce that and things like that. But the, you know, so we might see that and that's the leading emotion, but really there's something sitting behind it and it's, Maybe it's frustration, maybe it's fear, maybe it's sadness. And those are things that guys aren't ready to, to embrace because it, it in, invites some, some negative talk about, you know, that man up, that, you know, be a tough guy uh, type of mantra. And so in, in your book, Expansive Intimacy, you know, you give some examples of some, mm-hmm. some people that you've coached and worked with. You know, is there anyone that stands out to you from this book? Um, that you kind of always fall back on the storytelling of or um, that really resonates sort of the embodiment of the type of guy that you see needing your your help the most? Yeah, I mean, there's, I might go to a composite just for anonymity's sake, and I certainly won't name anybody, but there, there are a couple of guys that I have worked with over the last couple of years who had stress-induced heart attacks and like that's the that's the thing that I'm most worried about for guys is like they will go so far and they'll just push and push and put off dealing with what what they can feel going on inside that they could suffer really severe consequences. And so this one guy in particular, he's in his early 40s. He had a heart attack, uh, working like 80, 100 hours a week. He's a business owner, um, you know, small, mid-sized business, and one of his goals is to be the best dad in the world. But how do you do that when you're, you know, at the office 80 or 100 hours a week and you're eating stress? And you know, how do you show up in that case? And so being able to help people like that say like, okay, there are other ways, you know, and, and I share my story a lot because hitting that eject button, and that's not the answer for everybody, but, but taking a radical uh, approach to how I could change to get back to 
who I want to be, not who I should be. That allows people to say, oh, this, is, this isn't just me. I can see that other men do this. And that's a lot of what I try to do in the book is I share stories of men who've done similar things to say like, this is normal. That burnout is normal. Addressing it is normal. You don't have to have the shame that comes up around it. And also we all have those people in our lives who have told us who we should be yeah. and how we should act yeah. and how we should dress and what that all looks like. Uh -huh. Right. So I love that personal narrative storytelling because it really does help you say, oh yeah, oh wait. Why am mm -hmm. I doing what I'm doing? Who yeah. told Do I really want to be doing this? And sometimes nobody ever told you explicitly there are these unspoken rules. And it's, you know, those rules we talked a little bit about in the first segment. Be strong. Be successful. Don't ever reveal your emotions, especially to another guy. And don't ask for help. Those are rules that men grow up with in our culture, whether they hear them explicitly or just absorb them. And it's a recipe for burnout. Yeah. Well, uh, we're already at break number two, so we need to do that before we burn out all of our <laughs> words. Um, you've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Jim Young, uh, who is an author of the book Expansive Intimacy and a men's coach talking about how to better find yourself and push the stop button, not the eject button necessarily, um, on your life so that you can have wellness and just find safety and, and purpose. Uh, we'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm here today with Jim Young, who is a men's coach and also an author of Expansive Intimacy. And we're talking about his choices in his life that led him to the path that he's on and sort of letting go. A lot of people say, Jesus, take the wheel or, <laughs> you know, just letting go of, of the path that you're on and, and trying to either pause or figure out a better way to, to be yourself. And we were talking about in the last segment, you know, choices and all of those things um, and how oftentimes it's seen as either or. But I think you have um, some comments about that, that it doesn't necessarily have to be that, right? Yeah, we talked about what holds men back from actually saying, hey, I want to get some help. I want to work with a coach or, or whatever resource. I want to make a change. And I think it's giving up the, this, the version of success that they've defined for themselves. And I actually have another client I've been working with who very first session that we started working, he said, I'm not willing to give up these goals that I have around accomplishment and achievement. I said, great, we don't have to. What we need to do is round out the picture. You can be successful in that area of life and have the other parts of your life where you get to spend time with your kids or you get to ride your motorcycle or whatever it is that you define as the things that I want that I don't have. And so helping men realize that it's not this false choice of I either get to be the successful version that society expects me to be or I take this other path. You can blend them. And so blending them, like, what does that look like? Does it look like mm -hmm. reminders on your watch? Does it look like your friends calling you to ask you to go for walks rather than going out to bars? Um, you making time for health and wellness? Like, you know, what are some of the yeah. tips and tricks that you're telling these guys that they need to do in order to have a more well-balanced, well-rounded life? Any and all of those for sure. And each person's going to have a set of things that they want. And so they're going to be strategies that are going to work for them. That's one of the essential parts of what I write about in the book is that burnout 
There's no solution for it. It's too, way too complex for that. You need a set of strategies, and they're going to be individual because every, everybody's different. I need more time with my kids. I need more exercise time. I need more time socially. So there's lots of different strategies. I think a lot of what I want to address is for, for a lot of men, especially the people I work with who are owners, leaders, is how do you take a step back from those work responsibilities? How do you let go of some things and trust other people to take care of them so that you can free up your mental energy, your physical energy, your time, and start to you know re- rebalance, whether it's take a yoga class or go out for a beer with your buddies? Well, and I think that's really important to think about because when you're a leader of an organization, you're sort of setting the organizational can dis like the, the, the steps, you know, mm-hmm. like how you're walking, how you're talking, how everyone is being, mm-hmm. uh, within a company your your, your structure, you know, your culture, your corporate culture. Yeah. So how do you do that without sacrificing that? Or, or how do you, how do you lead from a place of actually making, systemic change throughout an organization once you realize that for yourself it's not working you know because obviously Mm -hmm. it's not working for every other people if it's not working for yourself when we were kids and i don't know if if you did this but i played follow the leader right it was a game that you played when you were kids and i i love referencing that because we do like we look to the leaders in whatever it is our organization our community and we follow what they do so if a leader is saying hey don't overwork but they're sending emails at three o'clock on a saturday afternoon they're sending mixed messages and so leaders setting that cadence of we this is what we value this is what we're going to you know how we're going to go about doing the work that we're doing to succeed and making sure that people are part of it i mean we haven't gotten to it yet, but expansive intimacy is this idea that when we invest in relationships as one of the primary ways that we're successful, we unlock so many possibilities that don't exist in the heads down accomplishment achievement mode. Thank you for bringing up expansive intimacy because this book has sat on my um, bedside <laughs> dresser for a little while. And I'm like, okay, expansive intimacy. Like, what is this? Is this a book about, you know, men and how to be, uh, more intimate, you know, Mm -hmm. in their lives or with themselves or what does that look like? And, and I loved how this really was about what you just mentioned, your relationships, not only your relationship with yourself, but your relationship period with the world, with your spouse, with your kids, you Mm -hmm. know, so talk a little bit about that. Cause I feel like that's the jewel of, of your book. Um, so kind of unlocking that mm-hmm. that knowledge about the jeweled web that we all have. The the term came to me actually in a, on a first date with my partner uh, two years ago, almost to the day. I said the words expansively intimate, and I realized like, oh, that's it. And I get so many reactions that, oh, I know what that book's about. Right? I actually set up an Instagram account called Expansive Intimacy, and it got shut down for violating community guidelines. (laughs) We think of intimacy as this narrow thing, and it's about a romantic sexual relationship. And yes, it is. That's wonderful. It's one of the best forms of intimacy that there is. And the reason I call it expansive intimacy is there are so many other forms of intimacy. You've got little kids, like when they curl up in your lap to read a book before bedtime, that's an intimate moment, and it's super special. 
And when you, you, you were telling me before the show that you went and spent a weekend with a girlfriend, uh, you know, hang out at a hotel and up in Portland, mm-hmm. and like that was intimate time. Mm-hmm. That's what we crave. That's what we want. And when we have it across the entire landscape of our lives, now we've got places for our, our stress, for our fear, for our grief, for our joy, for all of it. Mm-hmm. And we have the balance that we're looking for. We can succeed in so many different ways. And we're spreading it out too to other people. You know, I feel 100%. like so much we're unloading on the same person. For most of us, that's a, a spouse, yeah. maybe a best friend. But so many relationships suffer because there's that one person that you take all of your stuff to. And by the way, they've got stuff too. And like, how how do you make that work? It's it's not possible. And like, I have a bunch of intimate connections. And if I'm having a stressful situation, I don't have to lay that on my partner. In fact, I, I had a situation like that come up recently where I got to process it with like four other people and her, but she didn't have to carry all the weight. And it mm-hmm. was great for me because I got multiple perspectives. It was great for our relationship. And it helped me move through the, the, the issue a lot faster than I could have otherwise. Well, and I think it comes down to trust too, you know, and that's also another issue, mm-hmm. um, not just with men, but specifically with men, you know, like who do I trust? Who's safe to talk to? Um, and I almost feel like the higher up you get in your professional career, the less you're able to talk about things like that. Especially when there's emotional content involved. Those rules that I mentioned in the last segment, we're not supposed to share our emotions, especially with other men. That's a huge block in men's lives is we have emotions. A lot of us, and and I can raise my hand from years ago, not knowing what my emotions were, but they existed and they lived in me because I wasn't letting them out. And once I started to learn how to do that, things got a lot easier. And I realized like there are other guys who feel the exact same way and taking some risk to find like, what are the relationships where I can actually talk about what's real instead of just headline news conversations with my bros, like that didn't cut it. <laughs> I was just remembering the bros before hoes, <laughs> like <laughs> awful slogan, awful. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, how do you start suggesting that men <clears throat> do these things like in a safe space? Are they trying this out with yep. their friends? Are they trying it out with people in their coast, like their working space or co-working space or um, mm-hmm. group space? I mean, what, is, what does it look like to test these things out? Safety is absolutely one of them. Are there people in your life already that you can talk about this with safe, uh, talk about it with safely? If not, start with a therapist, start with a coach, start with a HR professional in your company, find somebody trusted so you can build the skills and then start to branch out. Okay. I like it. So you've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster. My guest today is Jim Young. We're talking about how to be intimate uh, with yourself and your spouse, your coworkers, your kids, and finding the time and the purpose in your daily life to make yours more meaningful before something bad happens and you hit the floor and you don't know <laughs> which way's up or which way's down, which is not funny. We're not laughing about that experience, but you know, this there there is hope, and Jim Young um, can bring it to you, and he's local. So, we'll be right back.
Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm here today with Jim Young, who's the author of Expansive Intimacy. I don't want anyone to be afraid of the <laughs> the title of the book, especially guys, who is your audience. I feel like, yeah. you know, if I had that reaction to the, to the title of the book, I mean, guys are probably like, I'm not intimate. Like, I'm good. I don't need that. Or they might be really intrigued, like, oh, what's that going to yeah. be about? And then they might think, oh, that's not what I thought it was about. Yeah. I thought and it was it, about expensive intimacy <laughs> and that you're having to pay for these intimate moments. And I was like, tell me more. That's a very well, different book. To, oh, yeah. Well, and, <laughs> yeah, well you'll have to pay for something some way, but okay. you'll have to pay more. There's if you always don't a cost. Figure, right. Mm-hmm. There's a cost for everything. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think we've really covered a lot of ground so far in this conversation, but I think that what we haven't really talked about is the space between, mm-hmm. you know, what, what lies kind of in the way of getting to this place that you're talking about. Um, and during the break, you mentioned uh, the word shame. Yeah. And so I would love for you to talk about shame. Because um, who wouldn't, right? Who because, doesn't want to talk about shame? Well, everybody doesn't want to talk exactly. about shame. Exactly. And, and I everybody didn't want to talk about it. shame either. No. I mean, it's like the hardest thing to, to yeah. think about, talk about. But it's that thing that is always lurking in our heads yeah. of, for reasons why not to do something. That's right. Um, it's that fear of being worthy. seen. Uh, yeah, I'm not worthy. I'm not man enough is probably the the central version of it for what I was writing about. Um, when I was writing the manuscript for the book, I had done a bunch of research on burnout and I was writing that my developmental editor made a comment one day on one of my chapters that I was writing. And he said, what's the role of stigma in this, whatever it was I I had written. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a great question. Let me go do some research on that. And as soon as I cracked that open, like Pandora's box of shame came rushing in, not only in the research that I was reading about around any kind of mental health condition of which burnout is one, that there's this stigma or shame that gets invoked by saying, I have something because now there's something wrong with me, which is a lot of what shame is about. And I said, oh man, I don't want to, like, I'm not a shame guy. Guys aren't shame guys. That's not (laughs) something I should write about. And I resisted it. And then then I eventually said, oh, I'll write a chapter about it. And then as soon as I did that, I'm like, it's a whole section of the book. It's really, it's what gets men into burnout. If we are failing in some way that we perceive, I'm not living up to those rules. I don't have the right job. I don't have the biggest house on the block, whatever it is. There's this doubling down to prove ourselves. And if we do that long enough, we can get into burnout. And once we get into burnout, that's even worse. We can't admit that. That's way more shameful than actually getting into burnout, how we got into it. And so we get stuck in this cycle because we're afraid of revealing what's true. And do you feel like shame is passed down to us through generations I yeah, mean, those cultural expectations trait, are a or huge is it part of it. Larger than that, yeah, it's certainly it's cultural, and and I think of cultural as it culture. Your first culture is your family, and that's where you learn a lot about life and, and the expectations of work hard, whatever those mantras are in your family. But then you get it in school, you get it in your community, you get it in the larger society, and a lot of those messages just stack up over time about what it is to be successful as a guy. And so you talk about 
sort of, you know, people that you've studied, um, for your research and for Mm -hmm. writing the book. And, um, you've mentioned Brene Brown before, Mm um, and, a lot of people, a lot of women <laughs> that I know, know Brene just because yeah. I think we all subscribe to these. We're more likely to subscribe to self-help or, you know, these conversations around vulnerability and mm-hmm. shame and yep. um, showing up and things like that. So, um, you know, are there others besides Brene that you felt like were leaders towards the path that you're currently on? There are definitely others. Mark Manson is somebody whose work I've really enjoyed. Um, Brene Brown has been one of the biggest influences. I remember picking up a copy of The Gifts of Imperfection years ago, and I've since read it two or three times, and recognizing how much my desire for perfection and always doing it right and looking good and achieving was a way to cover up my shame. She describes this cycle of when we have shame, oftentimes the reaction is to go to perfectionism to look bulletproof, but it's a fallacy. We can't be perfect, so we're going to fail, and that's going to invite more shame, and it's this really vicious cycle. And that's that's really what drove a lot of my research. It's just a lot of what I've experienced. I, I've, I've learned to let go of my perfectionism as a way to get through my shame. And Brene also talks about the arena um, of mm-hmm. your life. Yeah. I really like this concept, and I often go back to it when I'm encountering my hecklers or, you know, Mm -hmm. my season ticket holders. And, you know, I think that that has a lot to do with this conversation in terms of who are you surrounding yourself with? Yeah. Um, You know, and I don't know if you want to speak about that at all, but I feel like that's a large part of how you show up or, you know, the Mm -hmm. vision, like the mindset that you have for the framework of your life. And where that comes from, the arena analogy, is a quote by Teddy Roosevelt, like one of the manliest presidents we ever had, right? He he was a rough rider. He did all these, you know, very masculine things. And he gave a speech where he talks about being a man in the arena. And it's, it's a metaphor for showing up. Like, am I showing up for the things that really matter? Am I being brave and courageous? And in, in the book title, I say, Expansive Intimacy, How Tough Guys Defeat Burnout, and Tough Guys is in quotes. And that's a reference to that same concept of it's not tough anymore to stand there and take it on the chin. We've seen that. And we also know that it leads to things like elevated risk of heart disease or suicide or addiction or divorce. Like That's not tough. You're not going to show up as a provider if you can't show up at all. You're not even in the arena anymore. What's tough is to actually show up in the arena and say, this is what's actually going on. I'm going to be vulnerable about it. I'm going to change. So, okay, so I'm a guy, I figure this out, and I'm in this corporate environment, and Mm -hmm. all my coworkers are behaving the way that I'm realizing that I'm behaving. Mm -hmm. Bosses, leaders, everything. Mm -hmm. Am I able to change myself in this organization and make systematic organizational change, or do I need to go? That's an awesome question. Maybe is the best answer I can give. When I started doing this work, I, had, I gave a talk four years ago at, uh, a, um, at, at a, a forum that Ira Brick, former host of the show, was, was moderating. And I had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, I love what you had to say. Who do you have on your side for when you get attacked for that? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I'm challenging 
masculinity. I'm challenging what manhood is about by saying these things. So if you're in an organization and you're not the leader of it, the leader has power to make that change. Right. Um, not that they're not going to get slings and, and barbs themselves, but they might have a little bit more agency to deal with that. Mm-hmm. If you've got people who are willing to to listen and stand up and, and be there with you and you've got the fortitude to do it, then yeah, you can. And you might need to leave if you can't, like if you know that's your principle and you have to live by it and you're not going to get that support, you're just going to be attacked and shamed, well, then it might be time to go. And so how do you know if you're interviewing for an organization? You know, what are some things that that we can look for um, that would say this organization allows mm-hmm. truly for work-life balance or they mm-hmm. allow for your autonomy uh, and flexibility, you know, before you enter into this because that's a big thing, right? Absolutely. To like start at a job and take it and then be really unhappy there and have to go. So much of my work over the years in organizations and personally and with coaching is based on values and understanding what are the values that I hold personally? What are the things I need to have? Because if I live in my values, I'm okay. If I live outside my values, I invite stress and maybe eventually burnout. Like understanding what are my values and what are the organization's values and do they match? Mm-hmm. If not... Don't go. And I tell that to employers as well. Like if you have a values mismatch with an employee, they don't subscribe to the values you do. You need to deal with that quickly because it'll cause so many problems. Yeah. Thank you. This has been a really good conversation. And I hope that the guys that are out there um, listening will pick up your book or find you. Um, How would someone find you on the internet? Best way to find me is thecenteredcoach.com. That's my professional alias, The Centered Coach. Anything that you need to know about me is on the website, LinkedIn profile, where you can buy the book. Uh, Quick plug for local bookstores. (laughs) I was hoping um, you were going to say so. (laughs) Both Broadside um, and BookLink uh, in Northampton have copies of the book. And um, Jim was also telling me that he was sitting next to a Brene Brown book in Broadside the other day, so... Next you've made to, it next to a hero. <laughs> yeah, you've made it. Shiro. Um, yeah. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. Jim Young uh, was my guest today talking about expansive intimacy, his book, How Tough Guys Defeat Burnout. I'd also like to thank Greenfield Savings Bank, my employer, a mutual bank serving this community for 153 years with 10 branches throughout Franklin and Hampshire County. Thomas Shako is our new CEO and president. I appreciate him so much doing two jobs at the same time, but we love Tom. And then also Georgia Bryan at Business West, who is phenomenal, always providing us with so much information up and down the valley and throughout the region about what's going on, who's going where, what businesses are rocking, and what nonprofits need help. George and Business West, thank you so much. You've been listening to Tara Brewster on the Western Mass Business Show. Jim Young, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Tara. So great to see you. you. Love being intimate with you. Thanks, Monty. 